Hello there and welcome to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are coming back, believe it or not, with some reviews. That's right, do not adjust your sets. We are actually back with reviews. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we've been talking a lot about getting caught up. The pitfalls of modern life, fatherhood for myself, new house for Keith, uh, holidays, work, all sorts of uh, stuff getting in the way. But we're back with reviews and we'll find a way to get caught up as much as possible to modern titles being released. Though we are cheating a slight bit. But we'll get on to that. So, your host as always, Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And of course, delighted to be joined this evening by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. And good evening to you. A little later than we expected. You were dealing with a punami, I understand. Oh, the joys of fatherhood. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it doesn't It doesn't gross me out. I have to admit, when, when fatherhood was impending, my main worry was, am I going to be able to keep it together to change a nappy? And you know what? doesn't faze me in the slightest. But uh, yeah, no, it was just it was one of those days. Let's be honest. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 19th of October. You know, it's miserable day in Belfast, pouring with rain, high winds, the kind of day you just don't want to go out in. And uh, I had to have Alfie at the store with me for a little bit. And, you know, your your tension is then split slightly. So, uh, but no, he's he's great. You know, he's he's a wee life changer. He's, a, he's an awesome little dude. But uh, he just has his little fussy moments. And, uh, but again, that's just fatherhood for you. The one thing I will say is uh, ever since fatherhood has come along, my reading is always behind. <laughs> Trying to find the time and the focus to read is a little bit more difficult as a new dad than it was. You need to sort yourself out, son. Sort yourself you, out. I tell you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm coming up with these ideas of like reading to Alfie and just reading in my pull list every week and, and all sorts. So uh, we'll, we'll get there in the end. But uh, but yeah, as, as we say, we're, we're slightly cheating here a little bit, but we just wanted to get back to slightly more modern titles. I mean, we haven't reviewed a book since the 1st of June, which is quite frankly scandalous but we have been putting content out there of course you know we've been lucky enough to chat to some great creators in the last little while um doing some good interviews there all of course available on the podcast network just go back and check those out we're still doing our previews podcasts but we're hoping with this one this will get us caught back up to the end of september and then we're hoping moving forward the review show will cover a month at a time uh we'll try and fit in the odd interview as well do our previews as always and we're talking about maybe throwing in a book club or two and and getting a few other voices onto the pod so you're not just hearing our own dulcet tones all the time so but as i say that it's just the two of us tonight so (laughs) but yeah our format we arrived at after much consternation i was essentially to go back over the period from 8th of june uh until the end of september i'm picking out five titles they really did it for us. I mean, these might be one-shots, they might be annuals, they might be ongoing series. What we did try to do, though, is we've tried to veer away from titles that we know are phenomenal and we talk about all the time. So we, we purposely, well, in my mind anyway, we purposely you know, put them out of contention. So things like That Texas Blood, things like Nightwing, things like Daredevil, you know, all these great titles that speak for themselves, to be honest, and you're probably bored listening to us talk about they have been consistently fantastic and easily worthy of being included in picks of the weeks and so forth. But we just wanted to move away from those. We, we have a few months to choose from here, so we really wanted to spotlight, certainly in my mind anyway, either cool one-shots you can pick up or series that are nearly finished and the trade will be coming soon uh, that we've read a few issues of, that kind of thing. And and I think we've done well. I think we've got a really good range of stuff, wouldn't you agree? I would say so. I'm looking forward to... Uh... Once again, worshipping at the altar of comic book reviewing. Um, been a wee while since we've been in this particular temple, uh, but yeah, keen to, keen to get back back at it. And uh, yeah, we've got some some standouts, 
Uh, I'm sure there's a few other bits and pieces that have been mentioned along the way. Uh, when we find it hard to to uh, to stay on the stay on the straight and narrow, and uh, there really has been so much good stuff, uh, much of which either of us have or both of us have read over the past what five months, four months. So yeah, well, this is the good thing as well. I'm actually caught up on my reading to this point. So at least this is uh, this is all inclusive. It's just been the last couple of weeks of October I'm a little behind on. Uh, not helped by the massive pull list I brought home today as well, I have to say. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting though because looking over our choices, very little Marvel in there, uh, which is quite interesting. I, I have one and you have none. Mr. Marvel himself without a Marvel pick. My goodness. But Indie Ooh. dominates quite highly. I mean, Indie accounts for three of my five. And it seems to account for four of your five. So, uh, mm. but again, as as I say, I mean, we're we're not one to just talk about the same old stuff. So it would have been easy to talk about, you know, Zeb Wells run on Amazing Spider Man, which has been great so far. Uh, you know, we could have. I know you're a big fan, obviously, of Iron Man. We obviously joke back and forth about me not being, but I know Christopher Campbell's coming towards mm. of his end of his run. You know, any yeah, other any other yeah, Marvel I mean, stuff? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's all that stuff just ticking away in the background that just is is just phenomenal stuff i mean anything jed mckay touches at marvel just turns to gold um his strange and his moon knight have been have been phenomenal and actually crossed over at one stage there over the last few weeks which was which was great and i think now that uh now that the moon knight series is over and the, the big reveal about the the dissociative identity disorder uh that mark specter suffers from was revealed i think jed has sort of the gloves are off and he's able to to delve into that a wee bit uh in the comic um where he wasn't really doing so before so yeah so there's just i mean it's 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 all it's all ticking away i mean some of the really strong stuff that i've i've read over the past few months has been has been marvel uh to some extent without without realizing it i think my dc has cut down a wee bit um I am trying to cut down my pull list, <laughs> but just because, you know, I'm, I'm perpetually three weeks behind. <laughs> That's what happens when you, you know, gallivant all around, you know, Turkey for two months. That you know what I mean? is you true. Know what I mean? It, was, it, was, it was only it was only two weeks. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, anytime we record this, we obviously go into detail on our own pull list, you know. It's a strange week if we both don't have a minimum of 20 titles a week. And, and it is obviously a big commitment. You don't want to miss out on the good stuff. There's loads of creators whose work we love supporting and, and really enjoy their style. But there does reach a point sometimes where you think you never don't enjoy reading, but you sometimes look at the size of the pile and sort of go, oh, there's a lot of stuff here, you know. And you, you never want it to reach that point. You always want it to be enjoy. You, you always want to enjoy reading, look forward to it. You know, each title you pick up, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get into this again, uh-huh. as opposed to picking up titles and going, no, this is okay. But you're four issues in the five-issue miniseries, so you just stick with it, that kind of thing. So, But uh, enough of that negativity, because we're just going to be talking about the best stuff from the last few months, as I say. And it was hard to whittle it down, I, you know, looking back through my, my picks, because obviously we keep a document the week on week. I'm looking through some, I mean, to give you an idea from my point of view, things that didn't quite make the top five, but again are very, very great, very strong titles. Things like Aquaman Andromeda, which has got off to a great start. Last issue actually came out this week. Things like Silver Coin, which I think the horror anthology from Michael Walsh just goes from strength to strength. Have even... Uh... That last issue with the uh, with the eyeball thing was 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 weird. <laughs> it was just it was it left me really. I mean, I suppose it's there to leave me unsettled, but 
was it wasn't my favorite issue of the of the series so far. I mean, I I like that it goes to all different facets of almost sci-fi and horror, different time periods. You, you just don't know what you're going to get from issue to issue. But I really really enjoy that part. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Chip Zdarsky taking over Batman. Jeez, this was so long. We really haven't reviewed in a while. Uh, you know, with Batman One Two Five, I think that's off to a great start with Jorge Jimenez. You know, knocking out of the park on art there. Things like Daredevil number one, of course, Mr. Zdarsky again, Ram taking over Detective Comics, um, a new Tom Keen image title, Love Everlasting, Deceased has started up, uh, Human Target has started again, it, there's so much great stuff that we won't be going into detail here, but it wouldn't surprise me if further down the line with those titles, if we mention those more in the, the monthly review show, but... Again, we had to pick it down to five of sort of the creme de la creme, if you will. And and I have to say, when I was doing my review, my writing of my reviews and going over some of these titles, I think there's at least three on my list here that would be in contender for my favorite title of the year. So I really mm-hmm. did. I really did squirrel it down, shall we say. There's <clears> one <throat> on your list that I think is the best book that DC has released in years. Them's big words. And uh, mm-hmm. may another convert be welcomed into the cult of keen uh but we'll get to that so so who wants to go first do you want to kick things off or do you want me to kick things off Nah, you go ahead sure ah, okay well since you twisted my arm so i'm going to talk about one of those titles that is up there for title of the year for me and that is do a power bomb this is this was a brand new number one going back all the way to the 15th of june it's as far as issue five now it's going to be a seven issue mini series and this is written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson. Now, when this title was first announced, it almost felt like it was saying, this is for Alan. You know, it was a wrestling-based book from Daniel Warren Johnson. You know, we, we always follow creators anyway. And given how great his output's been, I mean, you only have to go back to 2020. Wonder Woman Dead Earth was my title of the year. Uh, you know, his brief run on Better A Bill five-issue miniseries was great. His creator-owned series, Murder Falcon from Image, is brilliant. So this was an extremely easy sell to me. Then I found out he is a wrestling fan, so he would obviously be speaking from some sort of point of authority. And he wanted to mix that in with the world of Dragon Ball Z. This this just got more and more intriguing to me by the by the day. And I'm delighted to say it not only met expectations, but absolutely smashed them. I mean, this is genuine top-tier stuff. This, this is so good that there are people in store who have put this on their pull list who have zero interest in wrestling whatsoever. But the storytelling is just that good, you know. So, um, you know, it's a story full of heart, family, relationships, regrets, strive to be the best, and some fun interplanetary shenanigans thrown in as well. And what's really, really clever about it, obviously I'm talking heavy on the wrestling side of things, but knowledge of wrestling is not a prerequisite for this title whatsoever. You know, it's definitely a bonus. You know, there's Easter eggs through it and nods to the industry and history dotted throughout. But you could absolutely just go into this sight unseen so to speak so with do a power bomb our protagonist is uh lana steel rose you know she's a wannabe wrestler who's pretty much warned off going into the profession by everyone in her life but of course she's headstrong and is determined but the reason that everyone warns her off it is because her mother yua was the best to ever do it but she also died tragically in the ring a complete accident that unfortunately highlighted the dangers of the industry you know it's it's no secret that wrestling is scripted in places and choreographed in places, but there's very real dangers there. And something went wrong this one night that unfortunately led to her uh, dying in the ring. So, But what changes is that she meets a mysterious necromancer who offers her a spot in a wrestling tournament. And the prize, well, let's just say a family reunion can be arranged. 
So what's fantastic here is, you know, Johnson is clearly a wrestling fan. He he understands everything about this about the industry. Not only does he embrace the bone crunching moves with phenomenal art, like you wouldn't believe, you know, the great agility required to succeed, but he also shows off, you know, the heightened pomp and circumstance that surrounds matches, the over the top melodrama of the storylines, the bane for blood nature of the fans, the over dramatics of entrances and interviews and promos and so forth. But He's developed a story with a ton of emotion and the very highest of stakes. I mean, you care so much for Lana. She lost her mother tragically, you know, and and the thing is she lost her mum when she was young and she thought her mum was invincible. She was like top of the tree. No one could ever defeat her, let alone pass away in the ring. So it also put distance between her and her father. Their relationship's very tenuous because he was involved in the industry as well. So, you know, could he have prevented her dying, that kind of thing? But it also instilled into her a big determination. She wanted to continue her mother's legacy in some way. So throw into that a planet hopping alien who fell in love with wrestling on TV and was therefore driven to start his own wrestling promotion and invite all the best wrestlers in the galaxy to compete. And did I mention that Earth is the only place in the universe where wrestling is not 100% real? Every other competitor is like a real fight. They take it like MMA or you know, so they're thinking like, do these guys not know that this some of this is scripted and choreographed? So it's a real brutal fight to the death type stuff. You know, there's there's so much to enjoy here, and there, it's a story that takes genuine twists and turns. You know, I audibly gasped at the end of issue two. There was such there was a moment that was just some of the best storytelling I'd seen, and and it wasn't like it was unearned or it was just thrown in there for shock factor. Like it made complete sense. You know, I've, I spoke in the intro there about, you know, falling behind in my reading somewhat, but this is top of the pile every single issue time a new issue comes out. It is a genuine contender for title of the year. You know, it may just walk out with a belt over its shoulder, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, seven-issue miniseries. Issue five came out last week, so the trade will not be far away. And when it hits, do yourself a favor and grab it at the earliest opportunity. It really is that good. And on a final note, my number one is even more of a prized possession now. Because I managed to get the goat himself, Chris Jericho, to sign it. You were allowed one item for him to sign before a Q&A. And I took my copy, my copy of Do a Powerball. So, biggest compliment I can give it. I know you're not a wrestling fan. But I know you're a Daniel Warren Johnson fan. So, I think you would really dig this. Yeah, it's one that I might uh, I might hold on and, uh, and, and uh, read and trade whenever it comes out. Um, you have chatted about it uh, continuously uh, since, it, since it came out. And, uh, yeah, I am a Daniel Warren Johnson fan. I'm not... I'm not in any way opposed to wrestling, you know, as a sort of, uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of most competitive things, but I like the theater of it, you know, the, all of that crack, you know? So, uh, so yeah. And as I say, Daniel Warren Johnson, uh, does some fantastic stuff on, uh, on Peter Ray Bell. Um, Jurassic league has been up and down a wee bit, but he's, I think just scripting it. He's just doing the art uh, and doing the odd cover, yeah, but you, yeah. I think you can tell his, his art style is so kinetic and fast-paced. That's why it suits this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. there's a really good, uh, just as a final note, there's a really good essay at the back of issue one, and I hope they include it in the trade. But it was basically all about how he had fallen out of love with wrestling for years, but then he had a, a child, and he would be doing night feeds and you know looking for things to watch in the background while doing all his parental responsibilities. And because of the late nights, he was watching New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, in New Japan, compared to American wrestling, it's like chalk and cheese. New Japan wrestling, they take it really seriously, really respectful, respect the old traditions, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he basically talks about how he fell back in love with wrestling and then broadened his horizons because 
most people, if, if you're not into wrestling, you just think of like The Rock and The Undertaker and you think American wrestling's the be all and end all. But there's so much other great stuff out there and that's what got him into this and then that was the seed sown for, for the story. So I'm very glad his wife gave birth to a child and that child needed night feeds and that he did it. So yeah, as I say, on course for one of my picks of the year, do a power bomb. as I say, as far as issue five, but Trey will not be far away as it is just a, a seven-issue series. So that is my first pick from our massive retrospective for these few months. What are you going to lead the way with? Let me see. Will we go for A Calculated Man? Have you been reading it? I have indeed. This uh, I remember seeing the cover for this, and it was an homage to Scarface, but with mathematical equations in the background. Uh, yeah, this looked good to me. This is uh, Aftershock, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's an Aftershock book. So yeah, I mean, it's um, by Paul Tobin and uh, Alberto Albuquerque. Um, and it's got a really cool, uh, a really cool high concept. Jack Beans is a former mob accountant turned informant for the US Marshals. Uh, and uh, just as his handler in the Marshals is retiring and handing over the, the case to uh, an incoming rookie, the Keys family here, the mobsters, uh, discover that uh, that Jack uh, has been an informant, uh, and therefore uh, come after him. Uh, the story is really character driven, and uh, you know the, the 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 first issue lays the ground with all the different sort of pitfalls and challenges for Jack to step into as he uh, as he follows uh, what he feels the most the most logical course of action to achieve freedom from the keys and that is to wipe them out now jack the calculated man is an extremely extremely interesting and, and unique character and paul tobin has done a great job uh of drawing readers in by giving him a really you know giving him really say i guess solid strengths he's a mathematical genius he sees everything as numbers and patterns and uh, and that sort of thing. And he has a personality type that he's never able to tell a lie, which of course is difficult whenever you're a, a Bob account turned informant. <laughs> and also whenever you're uh, an informant who's trying not to tell your US Marshal handler that you're killing off, you're committing murder <laughs> in order to stay alive. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's a fantastic setup. Jack's backstory and motivations are a wee bit, a wee bit hard to believe, but they're very, very compelling. The art by Alberto Albuquerque is very, very solid. It mirrors our own world with an edge of, I suppose, cartoonishness. Not maybe quite to the extent of, say, Chew, for example, but definitely leaning in that direction. Characters are really well-defined, really recognisable. Um, I've seen it described as John Wick meets a beautiful mind, and I think that's both clever and, and accurate and the 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 series is now three issues deep. I'm a little. I think I've got. I've read all three, and I think four is out this week. But the John Wick type moments definitely come hard and fast in the in the second and third issues as Jack just systematically sets up and eliminates the members of the Keys gang while simultaneously falling in love with someone who he has met, I think, online, and <laughs> she thinks that they're role playing over the phone with her posing as like a call girl. Uh, you know, telling Jack, you know, what she's up to that day. While Jack, he's narrating his actual day-to-day -day as a former mob accountant on the run, killing off mobsters. And she, of course, doesn't realise that it's it's the truth. And he's, you know, he's not, Jack's not, like, emotionless. He's not, 
he's not Spock. You know what I mean? There's a there's a bit of a yeah, you know, there's a bit more humanity there, I suppose, or human warmth. Uh, he's not that locked down, but he's definitely he's definitely somewhere left of center when it comes to the way he thinks. And uh, Paul Tobin just just writes that so so well. Um, I heard this week that it's been picked up by Disney uh, for Hulu and has been produced by the the same guy that uh, that did uh, Legion. Uh, so that is that is going to be if that comes to fruition, that's going to be an interesting piece for sure. I mean, it, it, it could make a great a great TV show. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I for me, the heart and soul of it is that relationship. You know, it's uh, the role playing between. It's fantastic because obviously it it shows that he can't lie, but it's about the only way he could form a bond with someone. Yes. Uh, so it's a very very clever idea, but. Yeah, a lot of great characters in it. You know, all the mob bosses are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the main guy himself, obviously, as well. So, yeah, this is one I've been enjoying. I mean, Aftershock do some good stuff. It, it doesn't seem to get the same sort of traction as as maybe Image and Boom and so forth. But there's some really good stuff coming from Aftershock. I think they're I think they're getting there. I think they're getting there. They're just they're just beavering away and uh, and putting out putting out some as you say some great stuff. And this is this is no ex- you know no exception. The you know the way you the way you see Jack, <clears throat> you know from from the first person point you know the, the first person point you're seeing him but you're also seeing him described by the u.s marshal who is his handler through conversations with the rookie yeah uh you know and there's there's definitely there's a mutual respect there and admiration um uh but yeah really 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 good book driven very much by the character yeah and i think a good comparison there to chew it's not quite the exaggerated world of chew but it's not a kick in the butt away from it so uh i know what you're saying with that but a lot of the violence happens sort of, quote, off screen as well. You know, you see a lot of stuff for, you know, the aftermath of it rather than it just being, you know, full-blooded action sequences all the time, Ooh. which might get a bit repetitive. So, yeah, just a lot of care and thoughts went into it. I, I actually didn't know it had been picked up for any sort of adaptation. So that's that's yeah. quite interesting. And as I say, really cool issue one cover because it's uh, an homage to Scarface, which is mm. never a bad thing. Yeah, and it's 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 lighthearted. You know, it's it's it's... It's crime and, and gangsterism and that, you know, but it's not not doesn't have the the noir sort of semi supernatural sense that Texas that Texas blood has or <laughs> you know, it's so it is really it's it is it is a wee bit cartoonish as well, I think. Yeah. Um even in the in the way it's the way it's written. So you can you can laugh at it. Very, very cool that way. Yeah, so same again as as Keith says that uh, first arc, or whether it'll just be the first arc and or one book one and done. Uh, the trade paperback won't be too far behind in that, as I think we've only one or two issues left to to it's finish five, it off. Five or six, is it? Yeah, so I think it's uh five. So yeah, so we don't have long to wait. And again, keep an eye out for the trade. Uh, we've a really good aftershock section actually in the store. Uh, tons of trades in there, and as I say, there's guys who work for aftershock ranging from aforementioned Paul Tobin to Garth Ennis to Donny Gates to John yeah. Lees to you know there's there's loads of good guys working there so definitely keep an eye out for the the aftershock stuff so yeah that was a calculated man um why don't we just keep the indie love going sure I will jump on next to public domain now is this a title you're on uh it is it, it is. is yeah absolutely Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I think we're what three or four issues in aren't we yeah, so issue four was the last one to come out of this. Uh, so this is written and drawn by our good friend Chip Zdarsky. Another one of our favorite creators is back. And this is a really interesting title. You know, this time he's not on the side of the heroes. You know, this man writes Batman and Daredevil. 
but here he's critiquing the entire comic industry itself you know you know time and again chip has proven you know his ability to inject humor in the comics you know whether it's the grown-up delights of sex criminals you know daredevil has its moments of levity as well and even in his batman run so far as well you know he can balance that great storytelling and dark themes but with a sense of levity and and he needs all of that skill and balance for this title because if you're going to go down the rabbit hole of one of the industry's most controversial uh topics that of creators rights you're going to need some skill to pull this off and not make loads of enemies along the way so you know i should also say i'm, I'm really glad image comics have, have brought this gem of a title to print because this uh, started life as part of chip substack uh his digital subscription service and then as i said it's now made its way to print so so public domain uh, the first issue introduces us to sid dallas so Sid is a comic book artist and he is responsible for The Domain, the biggest superhero around. But of course, well-worn tale, no one knows Sid created the character because you know Singular Comics owns the publishing rights and his former collaborator Jerry Jasper is more than happy to take full credit for it. And Sid's an older guy, you know, he's, he's been in the industry all his life, so he's got a couple of kids, both of whom are delightful in this. One's a complete screw-up and one is so together it's unreal. Uh, but they struggle to understand why their father hasn't fought harder to gain what is rightfully his. However, the, he has a chance encounter at the premiere of Eminent Domain, which is the latest film in the franchise, no less. This is not a one-off adaptation. This is a, a certified juggernaut of a, of a franchise. And things might just start changing here. So, you know, the parallels are easy to discern here. You know, from the nods to the world of Siegel and Schuster on Superman to... Bob Kane taking full credit for Batman, despite the essential work of Bill Finger going unrecognized for de decades. But what's cool about this is, you know, Zdarsky doesn't pull any punches in this story. And again, it's one of the reasons I certainly respect him so much as a creator. You know, story is king, first and foremost. You know, he mocks, you know, Hollywood celebrities who don't have a clue about the comic or the source material or where these characters came from. You know, to the corporate companies that make fortunes off artists and refuse to acknowledge or pay them. And simply just get rich off other people's work because they own the trademarks. But but the thing about this is, I think it would possibly come across as just a bitter story if it wasn't for Sid himself, you know, our central character. He's, while everyone around him is outraged and encourages him to fight those in power and try and get some recognition, he is simply like the equivalent of a child in awe in that he maintains a sense of wonder about the characters and simply enjoys the fact that something he worked on and loved so much is on the big screen and makes so many people, you know, so happy. You know, it's it's, it's clear throughout this story so far, you know, he hasn't lost any passion for creating comics. Something that comes in very handy towards the end of one of the issues, which is one of the great mic drop moments, I thought, with his son. You did what? Um, And, you know, he very much remains a fan, so... You know, Chip as well as as well as writing, of course, he's doing art in this. You know, Chip originally came into the industry as more of an artist than a writer, doing the art in Sex Criminals, Matt Fraction writing. But, you know, slowly, you know, cemented himself as one of the best writers around. But his art in this is perfect for the story because his art style for me is more sort of slice of lifestyle than over the top muscular superheroes and sexy women and all this kind of stuff. You know, the art is detailed, it's expressive where it needs to be, but it's also capable of tons of humor and heartfelt nature as well so the art in this it, it perfectly suits the title rather than trying to overawe it or outdo it um which is another benefit of course to you know a one-man writer artist title but he also does the coloring as well 
So, you know, what is it with all these creators wanting to do everything in their books? Do they not have lives? Uh, but yeah, he does the coloring for the book, you know, which is muted, nice simple colors when dealing with daily life, but it's bright and colorful when showing the world of comics and that joie de vivre and so forth. So, yeah, for me, I mean, public domain, it's another reminder of why Chip is, is always in demand. You know, he'll he'll always have to follow sort of stricter guidelines with DC and Marvel. Those books have established worlds, you know, no-goes for certain characters, what you can and can't do with them. But here he's completely untethered, you know, he could do whatever he wants. And he's basically created this really clever satire. But also, again, going back to that balancing act I was talking about at the start, you know, underneath the surface of all those jokes and digs at the comic book industry, he he's able to tackle this important subject with a bit of respect and a bit of pathos as well. So, so yeah, you know, keep an eye out for the collected trade. You know, it's due soon. We're only one or two issues away from finishing up this as well. Again, I don't know if there's more than one arc here, but there's definitely potential for this to be a much, much bigger world with, especially with, uh, well, I don't know how far you are, so I don't want to throw spoilers too much. But, yeah, where they, where they left the latest issue with, you know, old rivalries being renewed is is what i'll say uh definitely means that there's there's so much for this world to explore i think so yeah absolutely love it um and again this when i'm speaking about those titles of the year this this is up there for me cool uh, i mean i'm enjoying it it's it's not one that rises to the top of my pile uh but it is interesting whenever uh whenever i read it you know so uh yeah um enjoyed enjoyed uh, i think i must be up to date based on what you're saying okay, yeah cool. it's, uh, you know and it's it's funny actually drawing the parallels between uh you know real world creators or or uh real world creators who possibly are no longer with us uh as well um but yeah and also the just the the passion of the father for the character he's you know he gets what he wants uh it's just that the two the two guys don't necessarily understand what he wants no. Uh, or you know and then you know you, yeah you, you put that against the background of one of the sons you know and his gambling problem and you know that it's, it's dad it's, bailing him out and yeah all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah well that's it there's there's a really lovely sweet tender moment where you know in terms of sort of monetary reward shall we say for his work he literally only asks for the amount to bail out his son doesn't ask for a single dime more for himself or his family literally just that amount and uh yeah then he has the other brother as well which as i say is a really together guy and um, but will always be there for a sort of screw up brother mm. so yeah i mean uh, he's uh he's maybe a wee bit i don't know if he's totally together he's certainly more self-aware maybe mm. uh, he's got less uh he's got less notions about himself oh there's no denial uh. with him he, he knows who he is whereas the other brother is always trying to portray himself as being like this great savior and champion of his father's work and this and that but he's a bit of a piece of shit really <laughs> to be honest you know so I, I love the part where he literally takes the mobsters or the deck collectors to his brother's apartment with no plan whatsoever for what they're gonna do he's just like oh i thought you'd take them both out for me you know that sort of thing yeah he's just a totally in denial character uh compared to the brother but but yeah just great, great characters in general you know the their mother you know she's just happy to see her husband get what he wanted even if it's not necessarily what everybody else wanted sort of thing so but yeah no i i love it i i think it's an absolute underrated gem there's not a lot of guys on it uh in terms of pull lists and so forth in the store but i think when this hits trade it'll it'll certainly do very very well so yeah yeah maybe maybe it is a trade book yeah so yeah public domain that was my second pick from this period what are you going to be going on to next mm, let's 
let's let's take it downtown to DC, shall we? Um, and I will bring you uh, a one shot, uh, a one shot that is the epic conclusion of Philip Kennedy Johnson's uh, War World saga with Superman War World Apocalypse, um, which was a uh, I think it was an August release. Um, Philip Kennedy Johnson on writing and the art was provided by Brandon Peterson, Will Conrad, Max Rayner and Miguel Midonka. Um, it was a it was a chunky enough book, uh, a little bigger than usual. And it was the, the capstone to what has been a, uh, a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal story. And uh, I just loved Steve Beach's uh, cover A for this. Uh, it was just a fantastic, uh, fantastic depiction of Superman as he is in on Warworld. It was almost uh, 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 like 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 some some old school fantasy art uh, that you you know you used to see about really really cool stuff. But um, if you haven't been following it, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson's uh, Action Comics has uh, had Superman Kal El. Uh, and the authority set out to liberate the inhabitants of Warworld from the tyranny of Mongol. But as these things go, they became prisoners themselves, chained up and used as cannon fodder in the uh, Warzone fight pit. Uh, Kalel, his powers sort of stripped or, or weakened because of the lack of a, a yellow sun, which he was expecting, but he wasn't expecting to be in prison. So wasn't expecting it to go this this badly. Um, at this point, it's just, you know, half of his allies have turned against him and and Clark is in this uphill battle to win against the barbarism of Mongol. And uh, you know, over the over the last few issues or the geez, a year of issues, uh, he set this he set this little, he's created this little spark, this little spark based on the on the hope that is the the symbol of the of the the L, the House of L. And, uh, you know, that spark has begun a fire, uh, the fire of revolution and the, the, all, the, all, the, all, all the things in this issue, things start to fall into place. You know, the, the losses have been absolutely catastrophic for the heroes, but, but Superman finally has, <laughs> has uh, this mythical weapon, Algren's flame in hand, uh, until he is horribly and bitterly betrayed. Uh, it's just... It's just yeah, it's just it's just one heartbreak after another, and the 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 the, the revolution is made up of uh, Felosians who are a race that are that are part related to Kryptonians. You know they they also will get power from a yellow sun and all that sort of thing. And Midnighters in here, Manchester Black, Enchantress, uh, Natasha Irons, they are clashing with Mongols army, and uh, you know. The ones still on Superman's side are trying to to bring down, I guess, so so that some of their former allies and the Authority have been turned to to Mongol's side, and they're trying to bring down their their allies without without hurting them. As uh, Superman is, you know, he's deep within War World's City of the Dead, you know, trying to just trying to trying to to fight for this to to obtain this this Algren blade. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. It was just a fantastic issue. The stakes were never higher in this story, uh, and the the the, <coughs> the forward the forward movement, uh, you know, no, never faster than than in, in Superman War World Apocalypse one shot. 
And, you know, we're, we're opening in the middle of this raging war to decide the fate of the universe. We've never, I don't think we've ever seen warward to this detail before. Uh, and the society that exists there and the barbarism. And there's so much going on. There's so many different little uh, storylines that, you know, each each has its own triumphs and, and, and tragedies and, and outcomes, and challenges. And uh, it just moves forward at a frenetic pace and ebbs and flows. And it's the final issue of the Warward Saga and Philip Kennedy Johnson, you know, juggles it all like a professional and uh, rushes towards the ending. We can just, we can just see it coming. It just, there's not, there is not a dull moment uh, throughout of this. And the artwork uh, by, I guess, industry stalwarts, Brandon Peterson, Will Conrad, Michael Rayner, Miguel Mendonca, they all, they, they, they match their styles, but manage to give the book, their book, the book, their own signature look. Uh, you know, I don't know who's who was doing the battles, who was doing the more quiet moments, but the styles sort of work really together. Uh, and you know, seeing seeing Superman, you know, stripped of his costume, just wearing his wearing his shield on his on his chest, you know, tied across his chest, and sword and shield in hand. Uh, it's, just, it's just pretty uh, pretty cool, uh, I have to say. Um, you know the, the the power of Superman here comes comes not from superpowers though though part of the uh, part of the tension is is Natasha trying to uh, oh she's trying to like raise a raise a star one of the stars that powers Warworld and convert its energy to to that of a yellow sun in order to give Superman and the Felosians their power back but without his power. Superman is is there standing tall and inspiring even you know cynical teammates like Manchester Black and Midnighter uh to follow in his to follow in his footsteps, you know, in the way that that you know that there's a reason that, that Superman and Captain America are, are sort of analogues, not because of powers, but because that's what they do. They they inspire hope, they inspire they're inspirational uh characters. And uh so yeah, I mean, even without his superpowers and his strength, you know, his Clark shows that his real power is just to to raise everybody around him uh, up, and uh, it's just as fantastic, especially against the backdrop of the the brutal war world and the the brutality of Mongol and that that final battle between Superman and Mongol. Um, yeah, it was uh, really just a really <laughs> satisfying conclusion to a really solid story. Um, and uh, uh, I guess the, the the end of the story, uh, I guess, gives us the passionate reunion that that uh, that we were all sort of looking forward to, um, and so begins a a new arc uh, for Superman. I know they're they're, they're changing up the books. Uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is staying on them. Uh, I think Action Comics is becoming the Superman family book. I think Superman Son of Kal El will is still uh, very much there. Uh, front and center so uh, so yeah i'll be looking forward to seeing what is what is to come but this was this was some story yeah i mean i've heard nothing but great stuff about war world saga you know i read the future state stuff um which was actually really really good and i don't know just for whatever reason i never just jumped on action comics for this which i i sort of regret there is a nice hardcover coming out soon 
of it. Mm. But I have finally, you know, jumped on the action comics because it's now doing, uh, you know, Kal-El Returns and it's going to be a, a crossover with Superman, Son of Kal-El, which I have been reading. Uh, so yep. I kind of need the two of those. But I will definitely yeah, go back it, and check Warworld at some point. That's a really, I mean, Superman, Son of Kal-El has been, has been brilliant uh, under Tom Taylor. But I'll be interested to see now, you know, over the past year, John has been established himself as the Superman of Earth, you know, even during Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, whatever they call it now. Uh, you know, he's been establishing, trying to trying to step into his father's footsteps. But now with his father back, will he, you know, will he struggle in a shadow or will he have, have asserted his own identity enough that there can be two Supermans, Supermans, Supermans? Let's <laughs> go with Superman. Uh, yeah, I would highly recommend this one, Alan. I... The future state stuff um, was a future state. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. That uh, I kind of, I, I didn't really, I didn't really tw- twig me uh, at that time, and I, I should go back and read it. And now, of course, I have my entire comic collection in my house. I can do so if I choose. Uh, but yeah, I should. I maybe should go back and read that because that wasn't what grabbed me. It was just the story just got more and more compelling as as and it just pulled me in the further it was through until by the time we reached the crescendo here i was fully invested yeah i think it might be worth going back and checking those issues out i think there was only two i think it was superman worlds at war mm. it was called and it was it was phil kennedy johnson so might be yeah. worth going back and seeing what uh what was being what seeds were being sown if you will yes i will go do and do so and i think you should definitely pick up this whenever it comes out and trade and my final point on Steve Beach's cover is it just looked like it should have been like spray painted onto the side of a heavy metal van in the eighties. It just has that really great aesthetic like that. Beautiful cover. Beautiful. You know, cover. it reminded me of a of a Frank Frazetta piece. Is mm. is what it did. Uh, you know, one of those sort of John Carter of Mars or uh, you know, some of those real iconic Frank Frazetta barbarian sort of uh definitely. Definitely. Nice. So, uh, Superman Warworld Apocalypse one shot. From there, I'm gonna jump on to my last indie one, and then my last two picks will be from the the big two one from each actually. So I will go for something that's actually very very recent, uh, which actually only came out in the last release week of September, and that is Old Dog number one. So this is written and drawn by Declan Shelby, and it's it's no secret we're big fans of Declan and his work. You know he's he's been to the store for a couple of signings now. He's done some fantastic work with marvel most notably a, a seminal moon knight run he's pretty much drawn every character you can think of but also released in recent years some really strong creator driven work uh first of all with savage town which is you know recently been announced to be adapted into an animated show uh bog bodies and, and the ongoing time before time as well so he's now back with the title that's so close to him he's writing it drawing it coloring it and doing all the covers again where do these guys find the time <laughs> Reminds me of that sketch in Little Britain, where, you know the Dennis Waterman as a very small man comes and wants to write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. That's Declan. Him and Chip should just set up like studios beside each other, you know, just because they want to do everything for their titles. But I mean, yeah, he's obviously going to lots of effort for this one, a lot of care, a lot of effort. But based on this number one, I think it's worth worth all the every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears, if you will. So. With Old Dog, it was promoted before it came out as uh, a spy-fi. You know, this is an idea that strikes me, you know, straight away because it's an amalgamation of a couple of my favourite genres, science fiction and spy noir. So 
as I say, it's firmly entrenched in noir with this grizzled old veteran who pretty much everyone thinks is finished, but he's given a lease of life with one last job. But it also veers into science fiction territory with what that job will actually entail. I mean, I thought this was really smart sort of adult storytelling. So our main character here is Jack Lynch and, you know, obviously he's so descriptively drawn on the cover. You know, you can almost tell that every single wrinkle in that face comes with a story. You know, he's, he's someone who's traveled the world, seen it all and got those scars to prove it. But you can tell he still has a chip on his shoulder and, you know, wants to maybe still prove, prove something, you know. But... There's a lot contained in, in this first issue, you know, so first of all, you've got, you know, a mission that went horribly wrong 15 years ago, you know, he's been reassigned to desk work and late night low level surveillance jobs, so, in other words, grunt jobs that he thinks are a waste of a skill set, but there's some much needed excitement comes when a routine night watch shift brings him into contact with a mysterious lab, so he's essentially out on a job and part of the surveillance team, which has strict instructions to just observe and report if something goes amiss, so... Of course, something has to go amiss. Jack's colleagues swoop in and tell him to call for backup if they aren't back in 10 minutes. But of course, he doesn't listen. Leaps straight into a rescue mission himself, but discovers a strange machine and a mysterious individual. So, a scuffle ensues, resulting in an explosion that knocks Jack into an eight-year coma. As I say, there's lots going on in this first issue. And when he wakes up, something about him has changed. So, mirroring that, the comic, it occasionally cuts to a side story about a spy mission starring... He appears to be a much younger Lynch, you know, he definitely has the scar on the face, you know, and as the comic continues, the, the connection between the threads becomes clear, and by the time the two stories meet, Lynch finds himself with a new partner, so you've got this dual narrative going on, which means, you know, I had to read this a couple of times, you, know, you have to pay attention and fully invest yourself in the world that he's building, so, you know, there's enough ambiguity and slow burn tension here to keep you turning the page and wanting to learn more about the characters and the world itself, so, you know, given... Declan's background you know it's no surprise this is one beautiful atmospheric comic I mean backgrounds are marred in shadow characters are rich and detailed you know as I said before Lynch especially having the kind of expressions whereby every wrinkle on his face tells a story there's a mixture of classic and unique page layouts and the easy to follow sort of precise action is maybe how I'd put it you know this is a story about professionals you know so it doesn't waste time and like lead up to fights and the aftermath of fights it's very much focusing on those bruising moments but what really, really helps the art, I think, is the colouring. And again, not content with writing pencil and ink in, Deck also does the colouring. And the the colours sort of follow a really nicely established pattern, you know. So when, you know, Lynch is doing the mundane surveillance work, it's rendered in dull blues and greys, which sort of reflects the banality of the job. But there's then an old school sci-fi green tinge when he infiltrates the lab and then... The younger Lynch stories get more variety in colours, lots of bright yellows and dangerous reds and you know, a lot more excitement to those colours. So overall, I thought it did everything you want a first issue to do. You know, it, it piques the curiosity of the reader. There's loads more to come here. You know, the narrative is clearly not a straight line. There's a lot of the world building done in issue one, a lot of character building, but the plot is also driven forward as well. And it's also good because it sort of subverts genre expectations in all the right ways. You know, there is still something different to do in the spy genre clearly you just need to add science fiction to it so dex clearly a genius <laughs> yeah i uh as i said i'm a little behind uh so i quickly read this uh before coming into the store on saturday uh to, to meet dick uh because i didn't want to uh i didn't want to uh go in and be chatting to him and not having read the book that he was in to sign for um yeah no uh but i need to give it another read um 
for sure. There was there was a lot going on. You know, there's a there's a wee bait and switch there where, you know, you think you're you think you're looking at the past, and it quickly becomes clear that you might not be looking at the past, um, and that sort of thing. Uh, Deck has made it clear that it's not a time travel story, um, but there's definitely something squiffy going on. There was there's a series of panels, you know, when the explosion happens. Uh, and uh, the characters are shouting at each other but their speech bubbles are empty and then the speech takes place in a disjointed fashion in the next panel so there's there's obviously some sort of dilation going on there um, but yeah, the whole package uh, really looking forward to, to seeing where it goes yeah, uh, for sure, 100%, 100%. So, and it's a title we throw our weight behind quite a bit. You know, we started a new initiative in store where we're offering number ones from you know, creator owned titles at slightly lower prices just so people maybe give it a chance. Old Dog so far, Kaya number one as well. Um, Kaya may have made it into my top five picks here, but that's a sneaky October pick, so that might have to wait. So, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't read it yet. I haven't read it yet. But yeah, Old Dog number one was my next one, and as I say, that'll bring to an end my indie corner of my five choices. I'm gonna Ooh, be, a, I'm gonna be a sellout all... and go with a big two for my last two. So right, right, you're all, you're all out of all out of indie love. Uh, well, I am not. <laughs> um, so I guess be no surprise uh, that one of my picks of uh, the last number of weeks uh, from June has to be once in future um and the, in the last and the, the reviews prior to this it, it seemed to come up every week it is barreling towards its conclusion the last issue is now out it is in my read pile it has not yet been read i think you're a couple of issues behind i uh, yeah. am one issue behind i've read the the penultimate issue 29 uh so i'm going to be very careful about uh, about what i say but this uh once in future has just been a delight. Uh, it's it's been a roller coaster since day one, and uh, you know we had you know the the, the last I guess the last arc uh, has just has everything, everything to play for and pushing towards pushing towards uh, an absolutely fantastic looking conclusion. Um, at, at a point, uh, I guess. Little over halfway through the the thirty issue run, uh, things were completely derailed as the British Isles were moved into other world at the end of Parliament of Magpies, and uh, the monarchies in the UK. Uh, Arc has spent a load of time building that world of of a, a British Isles in and effectively the the land of the fairies and such, uh, and, and setting up all the. The bits and pieces for Kieran Gillen and, and Dan Mora to play with in the last in the last arc. Um, we've spent a lot of time with Duncan, Bridget, aka Gran and Rose, uh, but as as the things have drawn to a close, we're spent more time finding out what's going on with King Arthur's current King Arthur's and Merlin's uh, as they prefer as they, they prepare to fight against their, their alternates. Um, it's at some points it's been confusing. Uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because you've got so many, you've got so many different ways that the Arthurian legends have been told and retold and reinterpreted uh, over the over the centuries and the the millennia. That uh, Kieran Gillen, who is he is a master of the story. I I've started to see Kieran Gillen as you're reading Journey into Mystery now at the minute, and yeah. and Journey into Mystery, Kieran Gillen reimagines 
Loki not as the god of lies and mischief, but as the god of stories. I swear Kieran Gillen was just writing about himself, <laughs> you know, because he, he plays with stories in a way that, that few other few other writers can and do. I'm having real trouble keeping my uh keeping my uh, my headphones on my head. Um you know, so we've got the, the Norman and Welsh versions of Arthur and Merlin, and we've got the the like the almost Victorian uh version of Arthur and Merlin and, and all of that, and it's just it's just such the idea that you know people can occupy roles in these stories and those roles can change and that Merlin himself, the instigator of this, is stuck in a cycle that that a cycle that started, we find out as things go on sort of bitterly and, and tragically that started by love uh, and uh, all of this sort of stuff. It's just so good. And I mean, Dan Mora and Tamara Bonvillain are an absolute dream team. <laughs> there, there may not be a better team uh, on any book ever, um, you know, that, that's coming out at the minute. You know, it's, it's, they're so good. Uh, Dan Mora is also on, is it War's Finest? Yeah, with uh, Mark Wade uh, writing. Yeah, and uh, just phenomenal in that as well. Though I did notice in one of the latest issues, the uh, the cover blurred had had him as Murr, not Mora. <laughs> so if I was him, I'd have been writing a strongly a strongly worded letter. But uh, yeah, I mean this this just is, is crashing towards its conclusion, and uh, we you know we see Mary starting Mary uh, Bridget's daughter Nimue. A tragic character in her own right because she has been she has become trapped by the story not just by the story but by her mother and her mother's duties uh as a to protect to protect britain protect the world against against these rogue stories and uh and so forth um you know we, we start to see mary as i say take take charge of her own role within the story and she's no longer trapped in a particular role and can move through different roles uh as she tries to fulfill her 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 needs and her agenda um empower herself uh and as as things move on we start to things are set in motion you know a plan to restore the british isles back to <laughs> i suppose it's former glory <laughs> we laugh <laughs> but uh you know, and uh, and uh, maybe the relationship between Bridget and Mary being being repaired a little bit, but uh, it's just been it's just been great. This is one that I am really looking forward to uh, to going back and and reading once it's uh, once it's complete. Um, I just uh, it's just it's so good, and and of course the the message, you know, throughout the throughout the whole thing that uh, Kieran Gillen has never been never been shy about, you know, about the. Uh, you know the rise of the rise of British nationalism and uh, you know toxic patriotism, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's just been great from from start to finish. Just really strong writing. Uh, the penultimate issue was phenomenal. Uh, probably the best issue of the series so far. I can't say anything about it because you haven't read it. But uh, in that issue, Karen Gillan just does such a good job of. You know, very often the penultimate issue in a in a story can be all set up um but that's not the case with issue 29 the setup is there and you know the pieces are moved into a place that is just looks like it's going to be a fantastic conclusion and i know you know maybe a lot of people listening have already have already read that but uh, it does it while also pushing 
pushing forward the action as well, making it a, a story in itself. So, yep, uh, Once in Future, uh, the full 30 issues, uh, can't recommend highly enough. Um, this is going to make a phenomenal omnibus, I would say. Well, they've started releasing the hardcovers. There's a hardcover for the first 18 issues, uh, which is already available, and then they'll be doing another one to finish it off, which kind of bugs me a little bit because the 18-issue one's going to be so much thicker than the 12-issue one. Should have just been two 15-issue omnibuses, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, no, this is this is something I think is definitely going to be worth a reread and a binge read because I think there's loads going on in this, loads of characters, loads of different motivations. It's all very intricately plotted, and I think it will actually work better in a binge read than it has... Not to say it hasn't worked month to month, because of course it has, but you know, I think it, you'll just pick up on little details and nuances a little bit more through a, through a binge reading of it. And as you say, the Dan Moore art just, you know, for me, is one of the top three or four artists around at the moment. Yeah. Whether it's superhero yeah. stuff or fantasy stuff, you know, so. Yeah, and I mean, any series that, that has me sort of Googling centuries-old British history after every issue and Arthurian legends and characters and, and stuff, has to be really solid stuff like uh, the research that's gone into this not by me but by Kieran Gillen is so good the fact that he sort of had this concurrently coming out with Die as well is very impressive <laughs> two exceptionally good creator owned titles I would say he was, he was sleeping at night those days <laughs> and working with two great artists as well of course Stephanie Hans with Die and then Dan Mora with Once in Future so. and uh, this was another one that was only supposed to be six issues right? Yeah, I mean, it was certainly announced that way as one of six. Uh, Something's Killing the Children was the same, but then I think they were just such big hits that, you know, there was obviously more to tell, so it's uh, good to see. So, yeah, Once in Future, as Keith says, there's um, there's hardcover available so far, and then you've got uh, the first four trades, and then there will be a fifth one, which will ultimately um, finish the story off, so that won't be too far behind. So, Great! And which of the big twos, teats, will you be suckling at now, you sellout? You know what? I'm going to sell out for DC because it's actually the Marvel book out of these two that has my attention for title of the year. Certainly, oh, single, really? issue, certainly single issue of the year. Um, but yeah, going to that DC uh, teat and sucking hard, as I always do, uh, <laughs> there's a lovely image for you, is Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler. And let's be honest, if I hadn't picked this, you would have. So uh, I, I believe you made a grand statement in our intro. Yeah, true fact, true fact. I mean, it's it's your review, uh, but uh, yeah, this this to me was one of the best things that DC, the best single issues, the best pieces that DC has released in quite some time. It's, it was just just a head and a head and shoulders above, uh, I think. Uh, Tom King and Mitch Gerads, obviously, um, a great a great pair, a legendary pair. Uh, Tom let me down a wee bit with uh, the sort of fairly middle-of-the-road Batman Catwoman, uh, the greatest moment of which was the appearance of Coffee and Heroes in it. Um, but other than that, it was a bit of a disappointment. But this was quite the opposite. And the, the first, I think it's the first of the One Bad Days uh, series uh, of one-shots. So if they're if they're all up to this standard, then be well worth it. Be well worth a look. Well, I think Tom Keane's got back on your good side by doing Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, and following mm -hmm. up with this one-shot. Because, yeah, as you say, it's Tom Keane writing Mitch Dreads on art, and for me, that's always going to be the team behind Mr. Miracle, which has always been one of my favourite books. So, yeah, they're reunited here to kick off a brand new line of prestige one-shots, 
and each one's going to focus on a different member of the rogues gallery and each one of those monthly one shots is going to be a different creative team as well so this is very this is the epitome of one and dones because different creative team each time but there is a current running under them, a theme that runs through them all, which is One Bad Day. So first up, we're dealing with Edward Nigma, the Riddler himself. And, you know, fresh off a dramatic reinterpretation of the character in the Batman movie, you know, comes another dramatic take on the Puzzle Master. And, geez, I didn't think he could get any more violent than he did in the Batman movie. But, you know, he's certainly not playing games in this one, you know. The, the Riddler in this could buy and sell the Riddler in the Batman movie. <laughs> well... Be forewarned, this is not always an easy read, you know, with some difficult subjects breached and explored and some extremely violent imagery and actions, but damn it, it's a rather excellent title. So, as I say, I mean, the Riddler is even colder, more calculating and vitally more violent than before. So, the issue kicks off with him murdering someone in broad daylight for seemingly no reason. Except this is the Riddler, so Batman knows there has to be a reason for it, a pattern to discern, something there. And not only will he disappear down the rabbit hole for this this one-off crime, but it's also going to, this issue delves deeper into what makes old Eddie tick, so it does. So, you know, the title One Bad Day, that refers all the way back, just for a brief history lesson here, that refers all the way back to Alan Moore and Bram Boland's classic The Killing Joke, you know, which was always described as a possible origin for the Joker, you know, who likes to consistently remind us that his past is multiple choice while simultaneously depicted a narrative in the present whereby he intended to prove to everyone that anyone could be driven insane all it takes is one bad day you know in that story it was commissioner gordon who was uh who was the target and you know tom Keane's on record you know he's unashamedly uh, a mirror fanboy and he even links this riddler tale to that joker story but is also careful not to retcon anything you know he instead makes us look at certain events in a whole new way and it's very skillfully handed out handled i think but not only that Kane also uses utilizes a similar structure to killing joke you know showcasing both a possible origin story for the villain while also telling a modern day tale as well so in this one in this version edward nigma he begins life as a smart and driven young man who wants to know and understand the solution to all of life's problems however no matter how many answers he may have or how much intelligence he may display it is never going to be enough for his overbearing disciplinarian father. I mean, some of the dialogue here is really hard-hitting. And in fact, nearly every scene between Edward and his father is a hard read, with us actually feeling sympathy for the young man, despite knowing what he will become. And what was interesting here, this this setup reminded me quite a lot of Better Call Saul, in which, you know, in Better Call Saul, Jimmy wants nothing more than his brother's love and respect. But because we ultimately know he will become Saul Goodman, it's heartbreaking to watch his every attempt knowing full well he'll never gain it and it's the same with edward you know there's a similarly dark fate awaiting him because he's almost like this you know curious child genius who could have went the other way but because of his father went this way so you know tom Kane makes sure that readers feel each emotion edward goes through even when he's an adult you know where he feels sure of himself you know there's confidence when he's face to face with gordon or even with batman but Kane also shows readers that even when Edward is the smartest man in the room, it's not always the advantage he thinks he is. So, yeah, I mean, these these one-shot specials, they're, they're 64 pages long. Um, with this being Tom Kane, of course, it's less action-driven and it's heavy on dialogue. There is a lot of reading to this. This is a proper sit-down-and-read one. You know, a lot of pages are filled with conversations between characters you don't even see. But despite being so heavily worded, Mitch Dreads knocks us out of the park. I mean, I, I say this full well because obviously i love clay but i think 
Mitch Dreads might be Tom Keane's best collaborator. I think he best understands his work, the nine-panel page structure that he covets so much, for example, and utilizing it to the full every time. You know, the character work is great. It's expressive, but it's unnerving in a lot of places. And what I really liked about this was Batman is really made to feel otherworldly a lot of the time. You know, there's no defined shape to him a lot of the time. He's nearly always encased in darkness or silhouette, you know. Gotham seems like a really desperate, murky, crime-ridden metropolis the majority of the time. Spl- There's a sniff of, uh, sniff of Arkham Asylum stylings about uh, Mr. Gerard's Batman. part in this. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think that's a that's a really, really good shout. You know, it's you know it's gorgeous. You know, splash pages are impressive. What action there is is well handled. And and even the, the use of, like, a green filter almost the whole way through is mm. really inspired as well. So, you know... I'm a I'm an unashamed fan of Tom King's Batman work. You know, I I love the long run he did, the eighty five issues, but this might possibly be his best work in the world of Batman to this point because it's so defined with what it wants to be. It's so perfectly structured. And, you know, kudos to DC for releasing it in this prestige bound format. You know, zero adverts through the whole way through. It may sound like a small thing, but it really does improve the overall flow of a story to not have it interrupted every so often by adverts. Um, and then, yeah, just to echo what you said, here's hoping every one bad day, one shot lives up to this quality. Yeah, I mean, it was, it just was, the structure was was brilliant. The tone was brilliant. The the length of it was, was just nice. And the pacing throughout that long book was, wasn't frenetic. Um, but it, by the time I finished it, I felt like I hadn't looked up in quite some time. I mean, I was totally absorbed in the world. As you said, the green filters, the orange filters of the black of the, the flashback um, was very cool. But I felt, you know, I felt like I'd really, I felt like I'd had a, a good, a good literary meal uh, by the time I was, I was done with it. And I mean, it's not very often that the Riddler is, is terrifying, you know, in the same way as Joker or Scarecrow, for example, can be. Um, but he was absolutely... <laughs> It was absolutely shit scary in this in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, what he can do with just uh, just knowledge uh, is great. And, you know, the the dialogue whenever he's confronted with, Bat- with Batman is, is, is just some of the best dialogue I've, I've seen in ages. It's just jaw-dropping. Uh, so it was, it was, yeah, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I think it it wouldn't be wouldn't be out of place to say that this is the this is the Riddler's killing joke. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. It was yeah. at that same level of quality, I thought, and I think it will yeah. stand the test of time in in the same way that the killing joke certainly has. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, very very good. So yeah, this was this would have been yeah this would have been a pick for me. This is you know alongside alongside uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, in my opinion, Tom King's Tom King's best um, for sure, and I would have it up there as one of DC's uh, best releases in in years. Uh, it's, it's there's so much jammed into one issue, so much. Uh, you know, there was a, there was Supergirl, fantastic across eight issues, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's so much crammed into one issue here. This was just perfectly crafted. Yeah, really, really streamlined. You know, there wasn't a wasted panel or a wasted page, so. Yeah. But 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 yeah, it didn't. But again, it didn't seem. It wasn't fast or frenetic. It just let you. It let you boil. It let you simmer. Yeah. 
yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, so yes, that's my sellout DC choice uh, for this uh, period, which is Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler. So, what is your second to last pick then? Hmm. Let me see. What have I got to pick from here? Um. Let's talk. Uh. I mean. Uh. Once the future was boom. Um. Calculated Man was was aftershock. We've got some DC in there. So let's. Uh. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's very, very common uh, that you read something awesome and then you flick to the front cover and there's an image symbol there. Uh, it happens more often than not. Uh, and Eight Billion Genies is an image book uh, by Charles Soule uh, and uh, Ryan Brown, uh, where I think, what are we, are we five? Yeah, Six issues five issues end of the first arc, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, this is a this is a fresh take on the uh, this is a fresh take on the the genie myth. Um, you know, it sometimes feels like there's there's no fresh stories to tell. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing new left, uh, and that's not the case at all. Uh, there very much are still original stories out there, and a lot of them are happening in in, in comics uh, rather than anywhere else. Uh, it. Eight Billion Genies is a, is a really good example of this. It's an eight-part miniseries, Charles Soule, Ryan Brown, uh, and it takes what is a fairly, what could be considered a fairly tired premise, uh, the idea of ordinary people, you know, pursuing their 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 heart's desires through uh, supernatural means uh, and the uh, the unforeseen consequences that uh, that ensue, the, the, the idea of the monkey's paw, takes that, that and, and just, and reinvigorates it because it's not just <laughs> not just a one person or uh even a small group who uh who get their wish it is everyone on the entire planet the entire <laughs> so, world that's what they mean by eight billion genies because there's one genie for each of the eight billion inhabitants on earth uh that happens very very suddenly these really kind of cutesy magical creatures uh appear and promptly and inform their their new masters that they'll grant them one wish, and uh, we we see what we see what happens. But it's I mean it's it's more than just you know your uh, be careful what you wish for uh, sort of um, teal. There's there's a lot more there's a lot more going on, and the way it's the way it's put together is just is just great. Um, the the art by Ryan Brown. Well, I mean, I suppose that, that let's. I mean, our protagonists are the the folk who are inhabiting the is it the Lampwick the Lampwick Bar, mm-hmm. is that what we call it? Uh, so there's the, the the people who are in the Lampwick Bar, the band, uh, the owner who is a little more mysterious than uh, than we first uh, presume. There's a, a a Japanese couple who uh, who have come in looking for directions. Uh, there's a, a father who's sitting at the bar, uh, sort of ignoring his his son. Uh, you know, he's uh, and the, the father's obviously never recovered from the death of the mother. He's a single father, but um, uh, yeah, it just it just goes from there. These these genies suddenly appear, and the way the genies are drawn, they sort of in some ways, you know, this, these little translucent beings with their little uh, ice cream whip heads, but their their features sort of mirror. Or, or mimic the, the 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 person that is their 
that is their master. Um, and so there's a great, <laughs> there's a great, uh, I guess, concept that allows this to allows this to take place because I think without this this particular piece, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell this story. And the the first wish, the first wish that's made by our group of protagonists is by the owner of the bar, where he wishes that no wish that anybody else makes can affect the bar or anybody in it. So none of the other eight billion people in the world can can affect. Uh, the Lampwick Bar or the people in it, so it suddenly becomes a a safe space, a safe haven, and uh, you know within within the first eight minutes. Uh, so we're chronicled. I think we chronicle like the first. We don't. We didn't do the first eight seconds. We did the first eight minutes, the first eight days. I think we're doing the first eight weeks and the first eight months uh, as as things go as things go on and things progress. <laughs> but uh, by the end of the first issue, it's the first eight minutes. The uh, the human population, you know, has has decreased by, you know, uh, a, a certain amount, but the genie population has already de- decreased by by a million because a million people have just made their wishes like that with no thought. Uh, so that that's sort of where we start. Um, we see we see things like that, like the, the the girl who's in the band wishes that one of the guys in the band would would love her, you know, and then we have a discussion about about how you know taking away his taking away his free will now unfortunately fortunately it doesn't work because the lampwick bar is immune to wishes and he's inside the bar but uh you know we, we now look at questions of consent and taking away someone's free will you know and those those sorts of things and uh you know things just things just start to deteriorate outside um and uh <laughs> jesus the art is just chaotic right <laughs> you know the things you see <laughs> It's just I can't I can't even describe it. Uh, but you have kids wishing for mountains of toys and adults wishing for money and love and dinner with dead celebrities and world leaders wishing to be, you know, the, their country to be the best in the world and you know people wishing for superpowers and you know just thing people's wishes are countering one another's wishes and. It just is. Uh, it just is is absolutely crazy. Um, but we have this core cast uh, that that through which we see the 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 chaos outside, and uh, you know they're they're taking a wee bit more time, uh, making use of their of their powers, and their they, they seem to be guided by the the barman, um, the the widower Ed. Uh, he makes his wish. He puts his kid first by resurrecting his late life, his, his late wife, and making the family whole again. Uh, father to be the uh, the the Japanese tourist uh, Wang. He uh, he wishes to become the ultimate badass. You know this. You know cyber armored uh, fighter, so he can keep the people safe. He loves as long as he possibly can. Uh, and as say the the bartender will, he wishes that his bar. And the people inside are immune to wishes. It's it's just really really cool stuff. Highlighting, of course, humanity's tendency to disappoint themselves and one another as well. By issue four, of course, uh, I mean Charles Soule and Ryan Brown know the audience because we're looking at the wild world of superheroes. As everybody who's wished for superpowers, those who have wished to be superheroes are fighting those who have been wished to be supervillains, and uh, and uh, the kid. 
uh, who you know the, the the kid whose mother has just come back. He wants he wants to protect everybody, and he becomes Sun Man <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and joins a superhero group. And so we see Robbie, the, the kids' solo adventures juxtaposed with the emotional journeys of the adults still in the bar. And uh, it's interesting because you know the the uh, the Japanese lady, she's pregnant and. It's interesting because the, the genies suddenly become universal translators, uh, so we 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 get past the language barrier and uh, all of this. It's 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 just cool. And I mean, Ryan Brown's artwork is an absolute highlight. Uh, and in, in issue four, we see superhero Robbie's adventures, all sorts of insane images outside of the bar, and just it's it's mad. It's mad. At one point, there's a, a Lego building surrounded by a giant flying jellyfish, uh, and uh, you know the world. Whenever we see the world, it's got arms and legs hanging out of it, and which sort of reminded me of Eternals. You know, the big, the big Eternal hand poking out of the, uh, <laughs> poking out of the earth at the end of Eternals. But, uh, but yeah, it just it it was really really solid from its debut issue. Um, the the execution of the the creators is just near perfect. Uh, they're they're milking this concept in a way that that I don't think has really ever been done before. A way that it could. It could wear thin very, very quickly, but it, it doesn't. Um, you know, and the, the superhero stuff obviously playing to the audience a wee bit, but, uh, you know, definitely still making entertaining. So I'm looking forward to the, the final four issues of this. No, yeah, Bill and Genies is fantastic. It's it's just pure imagination. That's what's so yeah. great about it. And you you mentioned the art's chaotic, but it's not chaotic in a, in a way that's hard to follow. Like, it's really defined. But yeah, there's yeah. loads of background yeah. detail and loads of little Easter eggs and nods to certain things and so forth. I mean, it's I know comics get optioned all the time, and this has been picked up by Amazon to be a TV show, and the the concept is easily universal, and you could make a big, big show out of this, I think. But yeah, I just I love the the common sense nature of the bartender or the guy who owns the bar is just exceptional. You know, when he wishes straight away, like, no wishes shall be worth anything in this bar. And even by that point, some of the people in the bar have wasted their wishes because they tried to wish, yeah. like, people to fall in love with them and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah, it's a really, really great book. And those guys work together. They've worked together before in a couple of things, and they're worth searching. I think one of them was Curse Words, which was all to yeah, do with yeah. uh, a wizard who wanted to hide in the modern world because he was sick of being a wizard. Um, but, mm -hmm. yeah, if you like their style, and, uh, worth going to it. You know, the meta story is kind of cool as well. You know, the, I, I found myself wondering why this had happened. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and of course, there's uh, there's a little more going on with, uh, with Will the Bartender than uh, you would first think. Absolutely. And still plenty of mysteries to come as well. Mm -hmm. So, And whenever I said the art was, I didn't mean the art was chaotic. I mean, the, uh, the chronicle of the chaos through the art. Uh, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> he was drawing chaos. <laughs> enjoying it expertly uh, yes, but yeah indeed. if you have your eight billion genies number one hold on to that bad boy it's already a, a very hot book on the secondary market to say the least um but i i always like to think the reason for that is because it's class first of all forget about your adaptations but uh yeah that is eight billion genies uh, and again should be hitting trade very very soon uh the first volume certainly so we're down to our last picks then from this period you know all encompassing all the way up to the end of september and I left to last a Marvel book, uh, and it's actually the only Marvel book we're going into in depth uh, this uh, this episode. But 
I thought this deserved a real deep dive. And again, this is up there with one of the best one shots of the year, I think. So, and I had no expectations going into it. It just pre-orders weren't huge on it. Um, it seemed like it might be a bit of a cash grab, but it was anything but. Uh, so what I'm talking about here is Amazing Fantasy One Thousand. So written and drawn by too many people to mention in one go now but i will talk about them throughout and you know it's 60 years basically since old webhead made his comic debut in act in amazing fantasy 15 so so of course marvel fudges some numbers moves a few comics around with links to amazing fantasy somehow settles on the perfect round number 1000 pretty lucky that uh it also means they can release an oversized issue anthology style with loads of creators pitching in and charging inflated price what makes this different, though, is that this issue is worth every penny. But even then, it's a steal. You only have to look at the creators involved to know this isn't some quick, cheaply thrown-together edition. I mean, Neil Gaiman's involved. Dan Slott, Rainbow Rowell, Jonathan Hickman, Michael Cho, Kurt Busiek, Steve McNiven, and more. But what's really cool about this is that, first and foremost, not every tale is focused on Spider-Man's superhero exploits. You know, some of the stories focus more on Peter, some of them take an almost what-if scenario by plunging us into the future, and some of them are extremely personal, perhaps none more so than Neil Gaiman's story with Steve McNiven on art, which features Gaiman himself as the main character, with other creators you may notice along making cameos along the way as well, but the story basically details Neil Gaiman's love of Spider-Man from an early age and later shows him meeting an adult Steve Ditko for the first time. And in that moment, he's nothing more than a starstruck fan, you know, despite his own successes. You know, this this is a story that reminds you that characters like Spider-Man are enduring. You know, they stick with us through the years. They they never leave us. They ultimately inspire us and are truly important to, to, to growth. You know, it's, it's a very clever concept. It's really well delivered. And for me, this was the story to beat. But there are a lot that run it close. Um, you know, Anthony Falcone and Michael Cho get to tell this cracking wee story about a tracksuit wearing criminal who always seems to be caught by Spider Man. It doesn't matter if the world is ending or if universe shattering events are happening around him, Spider Man's gonna catch him. But the message here isn't like it's not some petty thing, it's the message here is that Spider Man always wants criminals to see the error of their ways and do better as opposed to just catching bad guys and sending them to jail. You know, it's a really endearing sort of idea. There's another great one with Dan Slott and Jim Cheng. They follow the tale. It's, it's, it's a story set when Peter Parker is 60. You know, he's still fighting villains. But, you know, we very quickly learn understandably he can't move as quickly as he used to. But this tale, it's, it's primarily set in the hospital. But what's cool about this is this story is all about how New Yorkers know how important Spider-Man is to their city. How much he has done for them over the years and therefore they'll do anything to keep him. And most importantly, his identity safe as well. There's so many other great stories through here. You know, you've got a brilliantly drawn one with, by Rand Stegman that goes into the modern concept of fake news within the media. You've got Rainbow Rowell and Olivier Coppel focusing on Peter's skills as a photographer, a skill which, of course, winds up Jameson Noent, who just wants you to bring me damn photos of Spidey. And we haven't even mentioned stories by Hickman, Marco Cicchetto, Kurt Busiek, Terry Dodson. You know, this, this really was a masterclass for me in how to put a meaningful anthology together in celebration of one of the most important and iconic characters ever created. You know, the writing, the art, the, the selection of creators, the length of each story, everything is just perfect and none of them are out of place, I think. It, it's up there with any of the anniversary spectaculars DC put out over the last few years and there were some great ones there. Joker 80th anniversary specials, Superman, Batman, Green Arrow randomly was 
phenomenal. But this is up there with him. You know, this is just absolutely essential. If you want to get to the core of what Spider-Man is and what he means to people, pick this up. It was an $8 issue. As I say, it's an absolute steal. There's so much great content here. And this must have been massively up your alley. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Um, there wasn't, as you say, there wasn't a bad story in it. We get eight stories. Um, and, yeah, I there was a reason that with great power the Neil Gaiman story was at the end because I think that was the one to beat especially with Steve McNiffin and Art uh, very very personal story uh, it was it was cool it sort of resonated a wee bit you know about how you read you know whatever if you lived in Britain you know how you read Spider-Man back in the days just picking up random issues here there and everywhere and how you got to know him uh, and, and how British comics used to come with all those tacky free gifts, you know, spark guns or, <laughs> you know, with Spider-Man on the side or whatever. Uh, it was it was very, very, uh, very good. Very good. Uh, you know, the, it sort of highlighted everybody's individual relationship with, with Spider-Man. Um, Jonathan Hickman and Chichero in there as well, uh, telling a, a suitably Hickman-esque story. Um, I love the Spider-Man versus Conspiratron, which was about by Armando Iannucci, the, the Scottish satirist who mm. was uh, the creator of uh, Alan Partridge, actually, oh, um, yeah. uh, with uh, with Stegman uh, on art there. And it was just absolutely taking a total swipe at modern politics and the gullibility of the public and conspiracy theorists it was uh, very, very cool. And uh, Rainbow Royal, who's doing... Uh, you know, such fantastic work on She-Hulk at the minute, paired with uh, Oliver Coppell, uh, was was brilliant. And that uh, the one about the photography, yeah, it was right up my street. It was, yeah, total love letter uh, for every Spider-Man fan. Uh, you know, to a character who just means the word to to most of us. You know, um, uh, someone who we we grew up reading. You know, his challenges were our challenges. Um, yeah, I felt I felt like I was I felt like I was a kid again reading this. Um you know, so I yeah, say but... it, it it arrived with no fanfare. It wasn't like amazing Spider Man one thousand, you know what I mean? Because it was amazing fantasy. It maybe didn't hit in the same way. And it sold well enough in our store, but I don't think it sold anywhere near as much as it would have if it was amazing Spider Man one thousand. You know, yeah, so yeah. but maybe, maybe. so many good yeah. stories in here, too many dimensions. Yeah. I send some great covers, including the cover, of course, by John Romita Jr. as well. So, yeah, just I, I was really, really blown away by it. I didn't expect an awful lot, and I was just completely just sucked into this world, and just <laughs> nothing around me could you know break my attention for it, my focus, and yeah, really, really excellent stuff. And again, up there is in terms of like a single issue of the year that would definitely be up there for me uh just fantastic stuff so yeah so that is my final choice for this time period which was amazing fantasy 1000 so why don't you bring us home with your last choice absolutely uh my last choice is from idw and is by irishman uh stephen mooney the author of half past danger also from uh, idw and uh one of my top books uh he's provided artwork and uh, stories for Marvel, uh, Black Widow, Star Wars, Carnage, DC, Nightwing, Midnighter, Bombshells, um, all across Valiant, Dark Horse, Dynamite, and, uh, and all sorts of stuff. But this one particular book is The Rocketeer, The Great Race, uh, which was a four-issue miniseries, uh, which started in April and was celebrating the 40th anniversary of 
the high flying rocketeer honoring the legacy of rocketeer creator Dave, Dave Stevens um, with a, a brand new mini series. Um, and it did it so well. It did it so well. Um, the uh, the gist of the um, the great race uh, stunt pilot Cliff Secord, the rocketeer, is uh, is ready to throw in the rocket pack and uh, is uh, taking uh, one final one final uh, I guess flight uh, before he settles down and uh, and devotes himself to his best girl Betty. And he's gonna he's going to uh, I guess enter a competition uh, where he you know in, in in the face of looming war in Europe uh, he's had enough of his near death scrapes as the rocketeer and he wants to take part in the great race it's a prestigious winner takes all race from California to France so he's ready to to smarten up and fly right uh, so he's going to take uh, going to take Betty to Paris. Uh, he's got uh, he's got a uh, a sponsor, uh, a guy who uh, an engineer who has created this uh, this fantastic new plane. Uh, but there's all sorts of other parties that want to win the race for their own nefarious ends, including uh, including uh, villainous Germans and uh, and all sorts of things. Uh, so it it really is a really was a, a fantastic um, punchy. Uh, classic uh adventure uh just two-fisted two-fisted action um and uh, from issue one to issue four and uh yeah it just i i've always had a had a soft spot for sort of vintage heroes like the shadow like the phantom like the rocketeer uh, all of which had uh very underappreciated movies made about them actually uh, all all great movies, but uh, yeah, I mean Stephen Mooney obviously has has some real love for this for this character or these kinds of characters. You know, Half Past Danger is, is set in that sort of time period with those sorts of uh, of two fisted heroes um, uh, that that you find here in the in the Rocketeer, and he really he does a fantastic job in following the footsteps of the late great Dean Stevens. Um, must be a daunting cast, you know, being responsible for, for writing and artistry, as you mentioned with uh, with Declan and, and Old Dog, and uh, you know uh, Stephen and <laughs> steps up steps up exactly the same way as as, as Declan did, and another very good friends. So Declan and I were were talking about this book uh, at the weekend. Um, action's totally intense, uh, and it, it's sort of it's well divided. You see Cliff, sort of in the first couple of issues, he's much more. He's much more in the plane, but in the last couple of issues, he's he's more the rocketeer, uh, with some incredible uh, action and and feats, um, you know, flight sequences, and then your face fisticuffs all cranked up to eleven. Um, right up to the conclusion, the action is 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 epic. There's fire explosions. Uh, one in particular leaves you wondering about whether or not the rocketeer is gonna is gonna live past this story, but it's not. It's not life or death that keeps you in suspense. It's it's just you know you're caring for Cliff's Cliff's accord and and uh, and, and and Betty and uh, yeah. I mean, I would love to see I would love to see Mooney do more Rocketeer. Uh, I'll be I'll be and I'll be be keeping an eye for what he's what he's doing next. One of the uh, one of the keys to this as well was 
at the end of each issue there was there was a, a chapter of uh and Dave Stevens an oral history of the Rocketeer uh, and uh all the way through you know they're interviewing people who knew Dave Steve, Dave Stevens the the creator of the Rocketeer and uh, they tell a story of how he acquired the property and I mean it's 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 pretty hard hitting you know whenever they talk about you know the last years of his lives and uh, and that but I really I really sort of through it got a got a real feeling for the guy and you know these people talking about him people that cared about him um you know and uh, I think you know they interviewed Thomas Jane the actor who played Punisher at the time uh, and uh, you know he said it, he said it best, best that this deserves a new generation's worth of eyeballs and uh, I think he's right I think you know <laughs> the Rocketeer does deserve a new generation of eyeballs and uh you know there's no better place to to find it than this sort of retro fantastic story that uh that Stephen Mooney has has created so ably uh with a, a fantastic conclusion um and uh, just yeah it just reminds you just how sometimes these real simple heroes you know you know can just be as as interesting as our complex superpowered individuals you know uh yeah very very good very good and and uh, great art fun adventurous uh just paced brilliantly uh mooney's art it's a it's a real high note with the the dog fights and the the sparring and the sky and uh yeah it's just a real treat i think to see the rocketeer again yeah i mean it's almost like uh reminding you of heroes of a bygone era you know a little bit it's it's very classic it's very as you say very genre specific uh, and those movies they, they certainly have their cult following and as you say they're they're very very good movies i was looking into picking up uh an edition of the shadow recently uh, alec baldwin penelope Ann miller i love the shadow when it came out yeah again, fantastic don't think it got the love that it maybe deserved which was a bit of a shame, but but yeah, I was on this as well. You know, it was just very simple, well told story, classic storytelling. Yeah, uh, yeah, and a total a total love letter I felt from from Stephen Money to to the Rocketeer. Yeah, Stephen Money, of course, as you say, good friends with Deck. You mean his mortal enemy? <laughs> of course, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. You know, they, they 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 must keep up appearances. You know, they must keep up appearances. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it as well, and and I wouldn't be uh, averse to some. Some more adventures in the world of the Rocketeer from Mooney, because again, you can see the you know reverence and joy on each page, and he just seems so happy to be actually doing this title. And I mean, you can even see that in the aforementioned Half Past Danger. You know, that's very genre, you know, nineteen thirties boys' own action type stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's there's definitely the parallels there and the genres that he enjoys. So, yeah, uh, Rocketeer: The Great Race. Uh, I think the trade is not out just yet. Uh, let me see if I can get a release date for that, just out of pure interest. Um, so, da, 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 do some magic on the computer. And uh, da, 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 I don't even mm-hmm. see a release date in previews world, so mustn't be out sometime this year. Yeah, it's, uh, I, it's got me uh, wanting to pick up that uh, deluxe edition of the Rocketeer Complete Adventures, uh, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, I, may, uh, I may invest in that. Cool. So, yeah, believe it or not, we have caught up to the end of September now in our slightly cheating way. But let's not focus on that side of things and focus instead on, you know, going over some absolutely wonderful titles from that uh, from that era, you know. So 
again there, there's way too much for us to cover and, and loads of stuff we're, we're consistently enjoying but we will certainly highlight those i'm sure in future episodes certainly more but uh yeah there's there's some good stuff coming to an end at the moment some great stuff starting and just some great stuff ongoing so mm-hmm. uh, but again our, our plan is to get back to monthly monthly shows for the reviews and you know just do picks of the week uh each week that kind of thing and uh you know keep you guys informed and you know keep indulging our our geeky whims and chatting away <laughs> good stuff that was nice that was fun to get back at it it was it was and and again even if our readings not completely back up to date at least our reviews are <laughs> so or uh, will be. yeah pleasure's always chatting comics with you my man yes sir uh we will be back i'm sure very soon i think previews will be the next podcast dropping which will be the geez we're already going to be looking at the november previews for january 2023 talk about going into the future so uh yeah keep your eyes peeled for that one and again we'll probably try and work in some more interviews over the next little while with all the the great comic uh greats that we get to chat to we are of course um organizing at the moment to go over to thought bubble maybe a little bit of networking there and maybe drop a few names as well and see if we can get a few more interviews that way so but anyway uh, we're going to leave it there we uh hope you guys enjoyed this hope you enjoyed catching up with us on reviews uh, and hopefully you'll search out some of those titles maybe we have inspired you or pointed out titles you perhaps missed along the way so uh again i look forward to seeing you guys in the store sometime soon i look forward to seeing you in the store very soon i'm sure and uh, mm-hmm. Good night and good luck, as they say. So, I've been Alan Taylor, and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes, and on Twitter, where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1, and I'm a Scannison 00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop, and community hub in Northern Ireland, based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.